I want to take you back to 2006. And a friend of mine invited me out to lunch. And I know that it was 2006 because 2006 was when the World Cup was played in Germany. And my mom and dad uh, arranged a trip for Stacy and I and our older two kids, who were nine and seven at the time, to go to Germany. And we did this fantastic bike trip that my mom put together from Salzburg to Vienna. We saw a World Cup soccer game. Uh, but our little ones were three and one, and so they obviously didn't bike and were too little to go with us. And so we had planned for them to stay, uh, so a friend of the family to stay with them for about a week, and then Stacy's mom and dad to come and stay with them for about a week. Well, about two or three weeks before we were ready to go, uh, a friend of mine invited me out to lunch, and we caught up and did all the kind of regular things you talk about over lunch. Um, but then he says to me, he says, Matt, I think you're making a bad decision. I think you're being an irresponsible parent by leaving your children here while you go to Europe. And I was completely taken aback by that statement, that, that confrontation. I, was, I, I felt judged. I felt frustrated. I felt angry. I felt confused. I, I kind of questioned myself. I mean, there was a lot of things that were swirling in my head. Um, but we went... To Germany. Um, we had a phenomenal trip, although I will say that like that conversation was like kind of in my head a lot of times and kind of spoiled in some ways the experience of it. I, we came, our kids are fine. They didn't, you know, nothing happened to them. Um, but it was, a, it was an awkward conversation that I, you know, look back on, I wish that it hadn't happened. Take you to another point in my life. Um, I was in a small group. I'd been married for about five or six years, um, and myself and another guy and our wives uh, were going to a WVU basketball game. And so we pull up into the uh, parking lot, uh, and he says, hey, Matt, can I talk to you a second? We're like, sure. And so the ladies went in um, to find our seats ahead of us, and he, and he said to me, he said, I, I feel like I'm noticing a pattern, not a whole lot, but occasionally I see a bad decision that you make in your life in relationship to your wife, that you say things kind of in public that are kind of demeaning or devaluing her. And I just wanted to, to point that out to you. And then he gave me a couple of examples. And, and in that situation, I took his counsel. I didn't feel judged. As a matter of fact, I felt helped. Now, I share those two situations with you with this kind of question is, what's the difference? What's the difference? Because in both of them, both people thought that I was making a bad decision. Both people had a conversation with me. In one instance, I felt judged. In the other instance, I felt helped. And the chances are is that you've been on the receiving end of that as well. That somebody says something to you about your life and you feel judged. You're like, you got no place saying that. And other times somebody says something to you and you're like, thank you for pointing that out in my life. And the chances are also good that you've been on the flip side of that, that you have talked to somebody about a bad decision that they were making in their life and you looked at them and, and it just didn't go well. Like it just kind of blew up and they got mad at you and, mad, and you're like, well, that did not go well. I don't want to do that again. Or, or maybe it went sort of okay. You know, or maybe... You thought about having that conversation because you could see that somebody's life and their decisions and the pattern decisions was heading for a train wreck, but you're like, you know what? It's not my place to say anything. And you didn't say anything. 
And then their life ended up in a train wreck because of that series of decisions. And you're like, gosh, should I have said something? I wish I'd said something. This morning, we're going to talk about what to do when a friend, a loved one, is making a bad decision. And so this is our third uh, in this series of what to do when. First, we talked about what to do when we feel like we're distant or drifting from God. Last week, we talked about what do we do when we feel kind of overwhelmed by life. And this morning, we're talking about what do we do when a friend is making a bad decision or bad choices or a series of bad choices. And this message applies in so many different relationships. So you may look at this and go, you know what, this is going to apply in my marriage with my husband, with my wife. What do, you, what do you say? When do you say something? When do you not say something? Or, or maybe the friend is a child. Maybe it's a young child. Maybe it's an adult child. And you're going to ask that question, when do I say something? When do I not say something? Could be when you see somebody who is making a bad decision, and you're like, should I step in? And it's a close friend. And, and maybe the bad decision, maybe the ripple effect of that is it's just hurting them. It's hurting their life. Or maybe it's injuring the relationship or the friendship that you have with them, and, and do you step in? Yeah, and then there's also the question of when it's not so much a close friend, but an acquaintance, and, and, and do you step in or do you not step in? And when do you say something and when do you not say something? And I think when it comes to these types of conversations, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think most of us are reluctant to have these conversations because there's this kind of inner dialogue of things that we heard and, and things, times when it's maybe gone bad or it's gone bad for us or one way or the other. And we go, do I want to enter into this conversation? Because, you know, in our, in our head we're like, I've heard Christians aren't to judge. And if I say something, is that being judgmental of the other person? Or if I say something to that person, is that going to hurt my friendship with that person? Because I don't want to hurt the friendship, but, so I don't want to say anything because I don't want to injure the friendship. Or, or part of it is just the culture that we live in. We live in, like the highest value it sometimes seems in our culture is tolerance, right? And if it's tolerance taken all the way, it's like I have no right to tell you what to do no matter what you're doing, good or bad. I don't ever say anything about what you're doing because I have to tolerate. And that, that kind of goes into our thinking. You know, and the other thing that is a reality is like, I don't want to say anything because my life's not perfect. Like, I know that my life isn't perfect, so who am I to say something about somebody else? I've made bad decisions in my life, so who am I to say something about somebody else who's made a bad decision? And so we have all of those kind of pushing against us, but here's what God says. God says, this is Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression caught in a bad decision, you who are spiritual, you who are Christians, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Somebody's doing something wrong. As Christians, we restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Here's the bottom line for this morning. You can jot this down if you want. To confront well, we need to love. But also to love well, we need to confront. To confront well, we need to love. And to love well, we need to to confront. But the question is, when do we do that? With whom do we do that? And I think really for most of us, the biggest question is, how do I do that well so that it doesn't blow up in my face? So this morning, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you want to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look at some verses there and a story there. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this story that we're about to look at. It teaches us so much about this. I pray that you would open our eyes to see ourselves in this story. I pray that you would open our eyes that we would understand how it is that we're to have some of these difficult conversations. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at this story, I want to tell you kind of a true life story. So there's a guy named Dave. And Dave was... Dave is one, it's not a Dave in this room, you're all safe if your name is Dave. Um, But Dave is one of those guys that that is like the whole package, right? So, and you know people who are like that, like he was smart, he was strong, uh, he was artistic, he was a great leader, uh, he was good looking, uh, he believed in God, I mean he was a believer, it's one of those guys you go, Dave is the whole package, you know people like that, right, in your life. I'm not the whole package, but you know, people who are like the whole package. So Dave lived across the street um, from a couple whose name was Beth and Harry, right? And uh, Harry was in the military, and Harry uh, was, uh, was deployed. And so Dave, one night, um, invites Beth over to his house from across the street. And one thing leads to another, and they have, end up having, Dave and Beth end up having this one-night stand, this one-night affair. Um, and, and beyond that, their, their one-night affair ends up with her getting pregnant. Dave also has got a friend. His name is Nate. Nate lives in the neighborhood as well. And, uh, and he happened to see uh, Beth go into Dave's house and then see her come out the next morning and kind of put two and two together and figured out what was going on with him. And, and Nate also was a believer in God. Now, kind of a heavy story. I want to ask, ask this question. If you were Nate, what would you do? Would you talk to Dave? Would you not talk to Dave? Would you write him a note? Would you maybe drop some hints and hopes together? What would you do if it was your friend Dave, who had had the one-night affair with this woman and she'd become pregnant, what would you do? So that is a real story, but I changed the names a little bit. And depending on who you are, you may know the true story. So Dave is King David. Beth is Bathsheba. Harry is Uriah. And Nate is the prophet Nathaniel. And all of that is true. I changed it a little bit to kind of modernize it a little bit. The one detail that I left out is that after David has the affair with Bathsheba... Uh, he wants to kind of cover it up, and he sends his, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front and gives water. Say, hey, pull back so that Uriah dies in the battle, right? So I want to ask two questions this morning, and these are very parallel, similar questions. What do you do if you're Nathaniel in this situation? But the parallel question is, what do you do if you're you and a friend of yours has made a very bad decision like what David did. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Nathaniel does and how he responds and how David responds as a way for us to kind of say, here's some things that we can learn about what to do when a friend makes a bad decision. So this is 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 12. I'm going to start actually in, in chapter 11. So this is right after Uriah has died in verse 26. It says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. So that's when, when Bathsheba, or Beth in my little story, 
um, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So here's the first example. The first thing that we learn from Nathan is that Nathan confronts over sin. Nathan confronts over sin. It says really clearly, it says, what David did displeased the Lord. The, the thing he did was a sin. And when we are having one of these confrontational um, conversations, it's very helpful for us to know, is this a sin that the person is engaging in? Because here's the thing, and, and one of the things about um, just why Christians sometimes get the bad name of being judgmental. Christians are judgmental. You know, in this situation, David was a believer in God and Nathaniel was a believer in God, right? And he confronts them over sin. One of the reasons that Christians get a bad name is we confront non-Christians over their sin. We say, well, God says don't do this. The Bible says don't do this. But the fact is that we don't hold Christian, we should not hold non-Christians to the standard of what the Bible says. Now, they could still be making a bad decision and we have the a conversation with them, but we don't want to bring the Bible and say, well, the Bible says, do this. It could be that we have that in kind of in another context if it's a destructive decision. You know, I, I opened the message talking about these two confrontations where people confronted me. And, and why did they go so differently? Well, the first guy that confronted me about leaving my kids in the U.S. while I went to, to Europe, right, that was his opinion. That was his preference. That was the decision that he would have made. And he actually didn't have any kids at the time, which made it even really harder to take, right? Um, and so, you know, but there was that. But then when my other friend confronted me, like it was, it was sin. He, I don't remember specifically pointing to the Bible, but as I think about it, it's, it's like God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I was not loving my wife in those things that I was speaking to her that he kind of saw in on. And so when we talk about Nathan confronts over sin, we need to know the difference. We need to know, yeah, this is sin, or this is just a poor choice, or this is the preference and how I would do it, and that's going to change how we approach the conversation. Because as we said with the bottom line, confronting well, part of confronting well, is knowing the difference about what the issue is. So then it says this, verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, and he said to him. So we're going to stop right there. Here's the second example that we learned from Nathan, is that Nathan was sent by God. Nathan was sent by God. And my guess that in Nathan being sent by God to go and talk to David, that he felt some of the same kind of fears and anxieties that we fear. You know, well, what if I come off as judgmental? Well, is this going to end our friendship? Is this going to, you know, what if this backfires and they, you know, the person gets mad at me and points at all the junk in my life? What, you know, what if, what if? And with him, there is an even greater kind of risk at stake is that David was the king and Nathan was a prophet. And so the king could do whatever he wanted to the prophet. He didn't like him. He could have him executed because he was the king. And so there was that fear. But note, it says that Nathan went to David and said to him, and we're going to read what he said in just a minute. He didn't go and talk to a bunch of other people about what David did. 
He didn't kind of drop hints about what David did, although he is going to tell him in a pretty creative way what he did wrong. He also didn't write him a letter, send him a text, send him an email, send him a Snapchat, send him a message on Instagram. He didn't do any of those things. He went and had a face-to-face conversation. Because loving somebody well, when we confront, means that we are face-to-face with them. You know, and I would add this, and it doesn't say this specifically, but I can kind of read between the lines, is I think prayer is part of this also. That we pray for the other person, that they would be receptive to whatever it is that we're sharing, but that we would pray that God would give us the right words, that the conversation would go well. And then he continues, and he tells this little story kind of a creative way here. He says, uh, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. And he he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger kindled greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now in the story that, David, that Nathaniel is telling to David, David is the rich man. David is the one who has done wrong. He doesn't quite recognize it yet, but he will in a moment. I want you to take two things um, from this section and what follows. I'm actually going to kind of put it in two parts for you. The first is Nathan went with humility. Nathan went with humility. Okay? You can write that in your outline. Um, and he went with humility. And if we are going to confront well, again, towards the bottom line, if we're going to confront well, it needs to contain humility. And so his story of kind of telling the little story about the lamb and the rich man, that is his way of coming in that culture humbly before King David. Here's what Jesus says about humility. This is Matthew 7, verses 4 and 5. It says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It says, before you go and talk to somebody, have a look at yourself. You want to like remove this little speck, a little speck of dirt, a little piece of sawdust in somebody else's eye. Meanwhile, you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye. Like, look at yourself first. Now, that doesn't mean that we never have a conversation with somebody. That doesn't mean that we need to live, to live a perfect life. But what it does mean is that we need to have humility as we go and speak to somebody else. Philosopher, if we can call her that, Mary Chapin Carpenter, right? Not a philosopher. She's actually a country music singer. But here's what she said. This is very profound. Are you ready for this? You're going to want to write this down. Take a screenshot of this. Sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. Isn't that great? Sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we're on the confronting end of things and sometimes we are the ones who are confronted. And we can learn from that. You see, if you were to think about 
how, if you're the one who's being confronted, how would you want to be confronted? You know, if I was the one being confronted, I would want someone to believe the best about me. I would want someone to know my whole story and not just one little piece of the story. I would want someone to come with questions and not accusations. And so when we talk about going humbly, we go with those sorts of things. Now, again, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. When we go, we want people to be receptive to what God is telling us to tell them. But the other side is true as well, is if somebody comes to you and says, hey, can we talk about something in your life, that we are receptive to that, that we are open to what they may say in our lives or about our lives. So then this is what he says next. This is verse uh, 7 to 9. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Here's the second thing. Is David went with humility and truth. He went with humility and truth. He says, you have despised the word of the Lord. When we go, we go with both of those things. We go with humility and we go with truth. You know, part of, um, part of being able to have these conversations is about relationships. That when there's a strong relationship, we can go and have that. You know, again, our bottom line, the first part is to confront well, we need to love. But the second part is if we're going to love well, then we're going to confront. In other words, part of having a loving relationship is loving that person enough to care about them, to say, hey, I see this in your life. I might be wrong, but here's something I see. That's part of a loving relationship. If we see somebody and their life is going over the cliff and we say nothing, that's not loving. It's when we step in and we say things well that it's loving. You know, I think what we want to do is sometimes we want to just kind of ignore. Like my friend, is, he's going through this, but I don't want to say anything because it's going to be awkward and we ignore it. But listen to a couple of these scriptures from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now that's part of a friendship. That's part of what happens in life groups is we sharpen one another. A little bit earlier in that same proverb, it says, Wounds from a friend sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. That the wounds of a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. How you say it matters. It's speak the truth in love, with compassion, with gentleness, as we looked at way back in Galatians. Early on in the days of River Church, uh, we were a small church, meeting in the theater, you know, 100, 150 people. There was a, a guy um, who I was friends with who was a part of the church, and, and he would frequently say to me kind of these confrontational conversations. And with a lot of frequency, he would say, hey, you need to do this differently, or the church needs to do this. And, and a lot of the time, probably not all the time, but a lot of the time, 
he was correcting that. But man, it just kept coming and coming and coming. And eventually I said to him, I, I said, look, I, I understand that you're trying to help me and the church be better, but I feel like you're doing an operation on me without using anesthesia. Like, and you're operating like every day without anesthesia, and it's just painful. And it led to a good conversation. What he was saying oftentimes was truth, but it was hard to take because it was so frequent, and it was just not kind of couched in this love and humility. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, says this. And this is the response. It says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Here's the final example that we learn from Nathan. Is that Nathan ultimately was after David's restoration. Is David, Nathaniel, Nathan wanted David restored. And when we have these conversations, we need to be at that point where our goal is their restoration. And I would even say, and this is going to sound really weird, and I hope this doesn't come out wrong, but it, like if, our, if our goal is I need to obey God and going to that person, the conversation is not going to go well. Like, if you need to obey, obey God, but get your heart in a place where you care more about their restoration than anything else. And you also need to care more about their restoration than about how it affects you. Because sometimes we have these conversations, and what we really want to do is, I want to fix your life because you're really bugging me, right? But this is the time where we go, I, I need this restoration to happen for that person's sake. And then here is David's restoration statement. This is in Psalm, 31, uh, Psalm 51. And I lost my place there. Hold on one second. Psalm 51. And, and this is what we want our hearts to be when we are confronted with our sin. And this is what we hope and pray is somebody else's heart when we have a conversation with them about something that's going on. It says this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I love that. There, there are, in these situations, there are bones that are broken. There is pain that's involved with this. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's the restoration that we're after with ourselves when it's us and with the other person when it's the other person.